Well, let me ask you something. Are you creating the future you want? Or are you just waiting to see what happens? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, I already know the answer to that question. If you're listening to this podcast, you are somebody who takes action. You are somebody who is creating your future. We're going to talk about that, how you do that. I got three parts to today's podcast. I want to tell you some details about the 20th anniversary edition of 48 Days. Super excited about that. We got a whole bunch of things lined up for you that uh, I think are going to help you move forward and create the future you want. Then we got some good news items. Always want to have those in here. Lots of exciting things happening. No matter what you're hearing on the news, there are good things happening all around us. Want to share a few of those. And then I have a short interview with my friend, Michael Hyatt, about vision. What does vision do for us? You know, is vision just optimism? How does creating vision complement dreaming? And what do you, what do you do when distractions show up looking like opportunities? Michael and I talked about that. We both have been guilty of that where something new pops up, you know, squirrel, you know, the idea there, and it looks like an opportunity. Well, Without a clear vision, you can be chasing rabbit trails instead of addressing priorities that you ought to have. Vision helps you clarify that. And we'll talk about how vision gives you an edge. So we're going to end with that today. Now, before we get there, quotation for today. Actually, since I'm introducing the 20th anniversary of 48 Days, I used one of my own quotations. This is what it says. Success is never an accident. It typically starts as imagination, becomes a dream, stimulates a goal, grows into a plan of action, which then inevitably meets with opportunity. Don't get stuck along the way. All right. Now, just briefly to tell you, I'm excited, obviously, as an author, excited about a new book. Well, the new book that I've got is the 20th anniversary edition of 48 Days to the Work You Love. Now, I've changed the title. So if you look it up now and you can look it up on Amazon, it's 48 days to the work and life you love. I inserted that because I realized more and more as I interact with people who are figuring this whole thing out about work that matters for people who care is it's not just about how to create income. It's how about to create a life that you love. And so I really was excited about inserting that in there. So The old versions since 2000 have been 48 days to the work you love. And that's worked very well of doing that. But the new one is 48 days to the work and life you love. That's if if you don't see that on the cover, if you don't see that little blue circle with and life, you're not looking at the brand new version. Now here's how this works. It's, It's frustrating as an author as well, because there's still a lot of sources for older versions 48 Days to the Work You Love, I did the first edition in 2000. I've updated it every five years. So there are 2000 versions, 2005, 2010, 2015. 
There's a lot of sources for those. So those are still available when you pull it up and look at it online or on Amazon. You see a lot of those other versions. Now, the new version will take over in popularity over time, but there are still those there. Personally, I wish those would disappear, but I can't do that. I don't have any control over sources that people already have out there. But here's the deal. We've got a link for you. And I want you to go to this link before you don't just go to Amazon and purchase it. Now, ultimately, we want you to go ahead and get it there. I mean, it's just hard to compete with them. We want you to go ahead. That's fine. But we've got a whole bunch of other resources for you. If you go to this link to start, 48days.com slash loveyourwork20. Love your work 20. That's the cool addendum that my team put together for to get you started on this. Now, there we've got a life alignment quiz. This is brand new. I just saw it this week and it blew my mind what my team has put together. It's, uh, and there's a lot of assessments out there, but um, in all due modesty, this one rocks. It's 20 questions to help you really understand how are you living your best life? They're really insightful questions. And as you answer them, then you're given a score. Now, you're going to be in one of three camps. You know, we probably ought to give these three camps titles. We haven't done that. But but here's an example. If you score between 80 and 100, now if you go through this and golly, you're, everything is really great in your life and I hope that a lot of you you know, rock this thing. I hope you get a, a 98 or a 99. I'm sure that's possible. But if you scored a 80 to 100, you are well on your way to create or find work and a life you love. So what I recommend there in chapter six of 48 Days to the Work and Life You Love, you'll find a process for moving into your zone of genius. See, even if things are going well, a lot of times you're not operating in your zone of genius. You can be in your zone of excellence where you're doing things where you're competent, you do them well, people acknowledge you for that, but it may not be your unique zone of genius. This is where you find yourself among the small percentage of people who break through into their own unique greatness. If you score on this life assessment quiz, a 60 to 79, now I'm sure you've already identified some clear areas to work on, but in chapter four, 48 Days to the Work and Life You Love, we share the steps for clarifying your skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, and passions, so you can create a life plan that acts as a guide for choosing work that matters for people who care. Now, if you scored less than 59, we know that you've been really honest. And your honesty indicates you're open to some suggestions and guidance. So I I recommend you become familiar with the Upper Limit Challenge. I address that. These are new sections, incidentally. That's a new section in Chapter 5 on page 100, where I quote Gay Hendricks from from the Big Leap, who says, Each of us has an inner thermostat setting that determines how much love, success, and creativity we allow ourselves to enjoy. When we exceed our inner thermostat setting, We will often do something to sabotage ourselves, causing us to drop back into the old familiar zone where we feel secure. So get some resources to help, even if you score really low 
on this life assessment quiz. But that's one of the things you'll find when you go to 48days.com slash loveyourwork20. Now, there's other things that we're going to give you if you do choose to purchase the book, which, of course, we hope you do. But we're going to give you the audio version. I did that done by myself. I mean, it's my voice, the complete audio version, a digital PDF. You'll get a sample intro letter, cover letter, resume, follow-up letter, the full 40-day schedule, opportunity to see a free chapter of the book if you want to do that. Um, but there, there's a whole bunch of things there. So we want you to take advantage of these bonuses where we want you to really get in the game. So you knock it out of the park, as I love to say, in this process. You're not going to be like other people who are sitting around complaining about the economy or what the government is doing or not doing, you know, or concerned about other things that you think are working against you. No, you're going to take responsibility and move forward to create the future that you really want. Now, 20th anniversary edition, I mean, that's kind of cool to have it coincide with 2020 being the year. So guess what's going to come in 2025? Yeah, I'm already making notes. I'm already getting suggestions from people. And I've got a document open where we're already putting together the modifications and updates that'll be coming in 2025. Now, thankfully, with digital production, we can do those even as we're going. So there's a lot of little things, a lot of little details that I'll be adding even as we go. Because, you know, the books, it's not like the old days where they print you know, 25,000 copies that are sitting in a warehouse somewhere. No, if you ordered on Amazon, chances are, well, they do have inventory, but you know, it'll stimulate printing another 200 copies that they put in their inventory, not 25,000. So we can make those changes because they aren't printed way in advance like they used to in the old days. Now, again, this book is for, you know, people who are anywhere in your work life. If you're working, if you're just out of high school or out of college and looking for that first job, it's a great guide for that. If you've already been working for a few years or 20 years or 30 years, it'll help confirm that you're in the right place or that it's time to make a realignment in some way. If you're thinking about starting something in your own, got a lot of included increased material that deals especially with that. Because we know that in today's volatile work Workplace, and I'm going to talk about the employment stats here in a minute as well. But we know that in the volatile workplace today, a lot of people recognize they're really vulnerable, even if they have a job they thought was secure. I mean, look what's happened in the first quarter of this year with all these unexpected things that happened and people lost their jobs in industries and companies that were in good shape. But because of unexpected outside circumstances, boom, the job went away. And a lot of people are saying, you know what, I need to make myself, put myself in the driver's seat. So we give you some tips on how to do that. Well, anyway, that's the deal. Again, 48days.com slash loveyourwork20 is how you can access some of the exciting things there that we're excited to share with you. All right, a couple of good news things here, and then I'm going to just share my interview with uh, Michael Hyatt to wrap up today's episode. No surprise, U.S. unemployment took a dramatic decline this month. Actually, in May, or now we're in June. But U.S. unemployment rate declines as 2.5 million workers return to work. 
you know, I, I've cringed. And if you've been listening, you know that I wasn't real happy with the term unemployment. I mean, unemployment going up, they, they predicted it might get as high as 20%. Well, it's not real unemployment. It's not that work isn't available or that companies aren't able to produce what they normally produce. This artificial thing with the coronavirus where people are shutting down businesses to protect their health, you know, it's not a true reflection of unemployment. So it went up dramatically. It went up like, geez, like it did during the, the Depression back in the late you know, 1920s. But it wasn't a real unemployment. So as companies are opening back up again, it's no surprise. Unemployment is dropping like a rock. It'll come back down. We'll be back healthy economy just as predicted. You know, the the labor department, I'm sure they're pulling their hair out trying to keep up with the statistics because they go through, you know, non-farm employment and then other kind of industries, what's happening. They go through how many discouraged workers. Well, the numbers are changing so rapidly, none of it really makes sense because they're artificial numbers. The, the bottom line is, don't worry about the unemployment numbers. Get out here. I've got people now saying, well, how can I get a job now when I can't just, you know, walk in the door and contact them? You can't do that. Well, I mean, things are changing day by day. A company that was closed yesterday is open today. And and don't look at the generalities. Don't look at, well, gee, a lot of companies are closed. I don't care. Go to 15 companies that are open, walk in the door and get job offers. You can do that pronto. You don't have to wait until everything is okay again before you start or continue a job search. If in fact you're looking for a new opportunity, there are companies that are begging for people right now. I mean, even if it's not your dream job, you can go out and get a job this afternoon. Absolutely. All right. Here's another good, good news thing. You know, we just, everybody has watched, I have not watched it, but the last dance this series on Michael Jordan and the amazing success that he's had. Well, in light of that and some other things that are happening in the black community, he just put a hundred million dollars to black communities, a hundred million dollars organizations dedicated to ensuring racial equality, social justice, greater access to education. Now th- this is a tricky thing because Money doesn't just automatically cure the problems that we have. I mean, if 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 we took all the money and redistributed it, so everybody had equal money. Trust me, in five years we would again have the same people who had a lot of money before had a lot of money again, and those who were poor would be poor again. It's not just a matter of equalizing what somebody has today. I mean, you can see that. I mean, you can, you know, if you give a 13-year-old, you know, two 13-year-olds, a hundred bucks, you know, one of them's going to invest it in his own business. He's going to start a lemonade stand. And the next week he has, you know, 200 bucks. Another one's going to go to the mall and spend it on ice cream and candy and the money's gone. I mean, people handle money differently. So just having access to it or getting it unexpectedly, I mean, this whole idea of these stimulus checks, I mean, I don't know what impact that really had. I'm not sure that it really changed much. It made the government look like a hero, I suppose, but I don't know that it really changed much. Anyway, you know, I, I trust that Michael Jordan and his Jordan Brand Foundation are going to use a lot of wisdom in how this $100 million is invested in things that really do address 
equality, social justice, and greater access to education. I think it's a wonderful thing to do. Absolutely. And he's sharing. He's been blessed with opportunities that he created himself. Again, I don't think he got any silver spoon handed to him. I mean, I admire the way that he persisted and found something that he was passionate about, did that with excellence over a long period of time. And sure, he's continued to make good business investments. He's obviously a really brilliant guy. And I'm thrilled that he's able now to share, but um, to share in a, in a responsible way as well. All right, one more note here. This is a kid from Ghana in Africa, a shoemaker who invented a solar-powered hand-washing basin. Now, you know, they're locked down as well. Disease is rampant in a lot of these places. They don't really have access to, you know, the kind of resources that they ought to have for sanitation. So this guy, in less than 20, in less than 48 hours, 48 hours, the shoemaker and his brother managed to gather all the necessary supplies to turn an old recycled metal barrel into a solar-powered hand-washing basin to encourage sanitation habits among the neighborhood. So he's got this, you know, just really cool little solar panel and then computer electronics he put together. And what it does, I mean, I watched the video, what it does, you put your hands in and initially it squirts a little soap, just a, just a tad of water and soap on your hands. And it gives you 25 seconds. You hear a timer clicking. So you know you still got time. 25 seconds. That's a pretty long time to just wash and scrub your hands. And then the water comes back on for like 10 seconds to wash it off. So it it even monitors the process so you don't waste soap or waste water, but it goes through it very quickly. And then it's hooked up to water and it washes your hands. Well, this has been so, you know, the the video of this went, went viral. And so the government officials in Ghana contacted these brothers to see if they could make more of these machines to place around cities throughout the country. So they're doing that. Now, I love these kind of ideas. I love that that somebody just took what they had access to and invented something that had a real prominent use. It reminds me of the story a few years ago. It was a book that I loved. I had my kids get it. We all shared it together. The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. Now, that was since then. That was done in 2016. And since then, they did a Netflix film on that, which talks about this young inventor who brought electricity to his Malawan village. They were confronted with a terrible drought. There was, they couldn't get it. They, they lost all their crops. They had nothing to eat, nothing to sell. And this little boy started exploring science books in the village library And he came up with the idea that really would change his family's life forever. He could build a windmill. So he put together, and it goes through. I mean, he didn't have access to things like we do. So he used, you know, bicycle parts and things and put together, just out of scrap metal, a windmill that brought electricity to his home. The, The very first home in the village to have a light bulb. And ultimately built a pump to pump water that they needed to farm the land. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, I love that story. 
So, but, but I love these kind of stories and, and you don't have to be from a foreign country. Obviously I give a couple examples here from Africa, but there are opportunities wherever you live. We have listeners from around the world, a lot of different countries, wherever you live, Kelly, be a hero. Look for opportunities to do something that creative, that inventive. I'd love to hear about it. Well, hey, we'll just do a quick transition here to remind you these are typically I'm answering questions. Keep those questions coming in. If you got a success story or a question, my goodness, feel free to shoot that in. We'll get back to those again next week. We've got some in the queue here that I'll address, but add yours to that. Just shoot your questions in to askdan at 48days.com. Again, the questions in to askdan at 48days.com. Now, I want to end with this interview that I did with my friend, Michael Hyatt, where we talk about vision. I mean, no matter, I'm doing a a series right now through our 48 Days Eagles community where I'm working with 20 entrepreneurs who are trying to increase their business until they get to the $1,000 revenue in a month. So they're really at the very beginning. And next next month, I'm going to work with those who want to get hit their, their first $5,000 a month. Then the following month, I'm going to work with those who want to hit their first $10,000 a month. And we may go on from there. But anyway, it's really exciting to do that. But you know, one of the one things that is a crippler is not having a clear vision for what your business is all about that you can communicate to other people. So they don't really understand what it is that you do. So important to clarify that. So Michael Hyatt, New York Times bestselling author, former CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, but he's gone on to you know write books about leadership, about being successful. Great friend, neighbor of mine, our wives are friends, they hang out together. So here's my conversation with Michael. Well, Michael, always a delight to have you as a guest here to talk about some of your most recent projects. And today we're going to be talking about your book, Vision Driven Leader. So thanks for spending some time with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Well, you know, we, we've known each other for a long time. So I, I love the fact that I can talk to somebody who I already kind of anticipate their thinking. But in this book, Vision Driven Leader, you know, you lay out a principle that's really important. We hear the old Bible adage where there's no vision, the people perish. So just give us a kind of your dis- description of what is vision. Yeah, so let me give you a, sort of the expanded definition. It's it's basically, I talk about a vision script, and that's distinct from a vision statement because sometimes people talk about a vision statement as like a clever, short, you know, slogan almost that you could put on a, on a coffee mug or a t-shirt, but it's got to really be more robust than that if it's going to have operational guidance for your business or for your organization. So here's how I describe a vision script. It's a written document three to five pages in length. It basically outlines a clear, inspiring, practical, and attractive picture of your organization's future. It describes reality as you see it three to five years from now, and it's written in the present tense as though it's already happened. That is a vision script. Wow. Okay. Now I had the privilege, I think it was last year of being with you and your team when you shared your vision for that year. So I, I get to experience exactly what you're describing. So it is much more than just some little trite slogan. You know, you, right. you laid out there a very robust kind of process. 
that kind of addresses one of the questions I had for you. And that is, is being a visionary just simply being optimistic? That's a great question. I don't think I've been asked that question in all the interviews that I've done. Well, I do think it requires some optimism. You know, certainly you're, you're believing that you can create this bigger, better future, but I think it also embraces realism because a part of the, the whole vision process is that you've got to, after you have the vision is you have to take assessment of where you are and that requires realism and then developing a strategy, which is very different than a vision, but developing a strategy of how to get from where you are to where you want to be. And I don't think anybody would take that first step towards actually achieving the vision unless they had some optimism that they could actually make it a reality. Okay. You already, you kind of laid out some steps there that I want to go a little deeper in, but uh, certainly with the way you described that we can envision somebody being optimistic and yet never really doing anything. They're right. just kind of a, kind of a dreamer with a visionary. You really imply there's a process, but you also addressed there. You alluded to the fact that vision is the what, not the how. That's right. So we've got vision and then strategy as two separate components. It is. And I think that a lot of times people derail their efforts to create a vision because they ask the strategy question of how too quickly and because they can't see a way for how to accomplish their vision. They just kind of, you know, neutralize or dial back the vision. So yes, vision answers the question, what or where are we going as an organization? Strategy answers the question, how are we going to get there? Those are two very important conversations, but they have to happen sequentially and in that order. First comes vision, then comes the how. So as a practical matter, when you're having this discussion, I mean, I'm assuming that as an individual leader that you've gone out, you've done some work, you've kind of formulated your vision, maybe you have it, you know, 70% of the way there, then you bring that back to your team, whatever that looks like, hopefully your leadership team, and you share with them, you say, look, had a few thoughts about the future. I've written them down. There's probably some things I've missed, maybe some things that need to be tweaked, some things that we can throw out all together, but I, I want to invite you into that conversation. Well, in that conversation, typically what happens is somebody says, well, I don't see how we could do that. And, and they want to kind of dismiss that point of the vision. And that's where as a leader, you need to say, look, we're going to have the strategy discussion because how we get there is very important, but it's not important now. It's important that we get clarity about the future we're trying to create first, and, and then the strategy will show up. Sometimes the strategy doesn't show up until we get clarity about where it is that we want to go. Oh, and one of the examples you use in your book, Vision Driven Leader, is uh, John F. Kennedy, where he didn't say, we're going to get better at space exploration. We're going to train NASA you know, astronauts better. You can share what he said. Yeah, no, he said that we're going to put a man on the moon. We're going to put him in the moon. Yeah. And so it was so visual, so concrete and so impossible. You know, at first the, the thing about it was there was no technology to even make that happen. There was no strategy that they could come up with initially. Even NASA poo pooed the idea and said that he was out of his mind. And he said within a decade. So even to actually put a time frame on it. Well, you know, amazingly it happened in less than decade. Unfortunately, he was not alive to see it, mm -hmm. but we did put a man on the moon and it was precisely that vision that sparked the effort, you know, that, that whole effort to, to make that happen. 
All right, you, you describe a four-part process where you know vision ought to be risky. It ought to be something that is going to be a stretch to make it happen. Otherwise, it's not going to energize people. I want to move into the space here, though, knowing that in our audience, we have a lot of entrepreneurs. So people who may be solopreneurs, even. I want to ask you, can somebody who is a good manager move into the role of being a visionary? Or are those two different skill sets? There are two different skills, or I would say two different roles, but absolutely you can move into it. This is something that can be learned. Consider this. I don't, I don't really believe that anybody is just like born a visionary. I mean, we typically think of a Steve Jobs, you know, sort of an iconic visionary of somebody that could see the future and articulate it. But we don't have very many books that talk about this. I couldn't find a single college or university class that taught about vision. So certainly, unless we've been taught, we don't know how to do it. And that's one of the reasons I taught this or wrote this book was to help mere mortals, people like us, become visionary. And that's the only distinction between a manager and a leader is that a leader is someone, and think about this, someone who knows the destination. I mean, if you're going to lead somebody that presumes you know where you're going, you're taking them on a journey, you know where you're leading them. So vision is the prerequisite of leadership. Until you have a vision, you're really not in a position to lead. So I don't care if you're a solopreneur, if you're running a small company, or if you're leading a big, large company, or if you're a middle manager in an organization. Anybody that's in a position of leadership has to be able to answer the question, where are you taking this organization, this entity, this enterprise, this thing that you're doing? Where is it going? Okay. I, I love that. Now, recently I interviewed Gino Wickman. Uh, Gino developed EOS, Ent- yes. Entrepreneur Operating Systems. He describes six characteristics you have to have to be an entrepreneur. His position is you either have them or you don't. You, mm. can't, you can't learn them. And of course, I challenged him on that. And I'm much more in your camp where you say, even though being a visionary is a unique kind of skill, it is something that you can learn. Now, let me ask you a related question to that. It implies that the visionary is at the top of the pile. And then the other people are leaders, managers, worker bees, or whatever. Can somebody be a visionary within another organization that they don't control? Totally. And in fact, not only is it possible, it's required. So when I first began to, to learn about vision was when I took responsibility for one of Thomas Nelson Publisher's 14 publishing divisions. So I had responsibility for the one that just so happened to be in the worst shape of the 14. It was the one that had the the lowest revenue growth, the worst profit margins, worst morale. I mean, it was really in bad shape when I took it over. And so the first thing that I did was I said, man, I've got to get a picture for where this is going. And the CEO would ask me, how long is it going to take to turn this division around? So I pulled a number out of the air. I really didn't have a clue, but I said three years. He said, that sounds reasonable to me. So I decided to go off on a private retreat. I took the financial statements from that division. I took the organizational chart and I said, um, okay, I told him three years. So what does this organization look like three years from now? And I started to write down a series of bulleted statements about that. So I said things like, we publish five New York Times bestsellers a year. Now at the time, as I was writing that, we had had no bestsellers, no New York Times bestsellers. So that was completely, you know, visionary thinking, but I wrote it down 
as though it had already happened, like it was, it was in the present tense already happening. Then another thing I said is that uh, we are the most profitable division at Thomas Nelson Publishers. And again, that seems so impossible because we were the least profitable. We had lost money the previous year. So I wrote down about 10 of these bullets. I went back to my leadership team. So again, I was in middle management. I was, there were three levels between me and the CEO. And so I said, Hey guys, I've been thinking about the future. Just like I was talking a moment ago. And I said, I, I, I may have some things right. I may have missed some things, but I need your help. And I began to transfer the process of ownership to the team. And once I got alignment with my handful of leaders in that division, then we rolled it out to everybody in the division. Here's what was really cool, Dan, and this is a real principle of vision-driven leadership, is that clarity accelerates progress. Mm -hmm. Clarity accelerates progress. So it didn't take us three years to accomplish that vision. We actually did it in just 18 months, a year and a half. We went from number 14 to number one in terms of revenue growth. We're the fastest growing division in the entire company. We went from number 14 to number one in profit margin. We were the most profitable division in the entire company. And that division remained the most profitable until I left the company in 2011. That's the power of vision. Oh my, that is, that's exciting. That's inspiring to hear that. Now, you, you also share that when you had your own publishing company prior to that, you had a lot of opportunities that showed up. And one of your terms is that opportunities, distractions can look like opportunities. And as I recall, in that you had so many new opportunities that came up that ultimately tanked the business. Describe that process for somebody who is a visionary, who welcomes things that are a stretch, that are new, new territory, exciting and all of that. And yet, if we aren't careful, if we don't have a clearly crafted vision, clarity, it can work to our demise. It it really can. And so I started this publishing company in 1986 with a business partner. And we were pretty successful right out of the gate. We had the privilege of publishing the biography the autobiography of Oral Hershiser, who was the famed publisher for the Los Angeles Dodgers, the year the one, they won the World Series. And it was a huge story. I mean, he was a household name. He was invited to the White House. Everybody was interviewing him. And we got to publish his autobiography, which was great. So for months, it was on the New York Times bestseller list. It generated a ton of cash and a ton of opportunity. But we didn't have a vision script. We didn't really have any vision at all. And so every opportunity that showed up, we kind of felt compelled to pursue because, I mean, you know, the more successful you are, the more opportunities show up and, you know, who would, who would say no to some of these opportunities. So we got into children's book publishing. We started publishing reference books, gift books. We even did this big Bible project. Well, without a vision, you have no way to differentiate between true opportunities that show up and distractions that are masquerading as opportunities. And so we took on all these things. We fractured our focus. We uh, basically had more opportunities than resources. And we went broke, not for lack of opportunity, but for lack of focus. Because to have vision, uh, it's, it's important to have vision. Then you can have focus. Then you have a filter by which you can say no to those things that don't fit within the vision. And that's what we were missing. Golly. Wow, that's such a graphic example of the dangers of not having vision, even if things are going well and there are opportunities. Now, Michael, you, you know me well. You, you know my, my history. And it's, it's with embarrassment that I kind of 
reframe a little bit of my own history. I started everything I'm doing today as a Sunday school class. I, I simply responded to the needs of that little group and then it grew. More people came Then I put together my rough notes in a little three ring binder. We started selling that. And then that led to, you know, a, a real book and then seminars and live events, coaching, online opportunity. But I went for years just kind of responding to what was there. Just every open door, I'd walk through it and develop that. It wasn't until a few years ago that I got with somebody, a, a, a company that was experienced in this space and really crafted a vision. Now, how likely is that to happen for an entrepreneur who sees, sees some kind of opportunity and they just fulfill the need and they get caught up in doing rather than creating a vision for where they're going? Well, I think one of the things that we like to do in sort of entrepreneurial space is point to the great success stories and act like they're normative. But here's the result from the U S commerce department is that 80% of all new businesses that start will fail in the first five years. 80% of all new businesses that start this year, there'll be about a million that start this year in the United States, 2020, who knows what the pandemic is doing to all that, but uh, about a million businesses, 80% of them will be dead in five years of the 20% that survive. 80% of those will be dead in the next five years. So in other words, you've got basically a 4% chance of succeeding in the first 10 years of your business. So Dan Miller, congratulations. You're one of the 4%, <laughs> right? Wow. I'm one of the 4%, but, but that's not normative. And the, a vision is what gives you an edge. Taking time to get clear on exactly what you want. And, and I talk about this in the vision script in terms of four sections. What do you want in terms of a team? What do you want for the future of your product, the future of sales and marketing, and the future of your impact? Getting clear on that ensures that you get alignment in your organization around that vision. So you're not producing sideways energy. So, so people just are not busy doing a lot of busy work, but it's not driving toward a specific vision. And then it enables you to execute as an organization so that you're not wasting resources so that everybody's uh, focused on, on delivering that vision. That's the power of a vision and why it's so necessary. Not only if you want to thrive, but honestly, just if you want to survive. Okay. All right. And we want to, we want to wrap this up on a really positive note here. Not, not telling people the 96% chance you're not, not going to make it. We are going to help people understand how to put themselves in that 4%. You and I as authors, we know statistically we're told 95% of authors never make more than $40,000 a year. That's not very attractive to a Michael Hyatt or Dan Miller. So what we have to do is look at what is that we're willing to do that most authors are not doing in the same way to be successful as an entrepreneur? How can you put yourself in that 4%? Wow. What you're laying out here, creating a vision increases your odds exponentially. Definitely. Oh, Michael, thank you for spending time with us. My gosh, I love the book, all of your work, but this is the vision driven leader. Um, tell us where people can go to get that and some other exciting things you're going to add in for our listeners. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this. So we've got a special web page that we've created for your audience, Dan. It's visiondrivenleader.com slash 
48 days. And basically, if you buy the book at any bookstore, online or off, and you bring the receipt back and enter your receipt in, you'll be able to claim a bunch of really cool bonuses. My favorite one, about $200 worth of bonuses, but my very favorite one, I'm sorry, $400 worth of bonuses. My very favorite one that you're going to get is something that we call the Vision Scripter. It's an online tool that'll basically take you by the hand and enable you to get your vision script about 80% of the way done, which frankly is all the way that you want to have it done before you start sharing it with your team because mm-hmm. you want to live, leave some room for their input. But that's, that's a really a, a, a great tool that I'm really proud of that'll, that'll help people get their vision on paper. Oh, that's so awesome. Thank you so much for that. I know our audience is going to love it. We work, have the privilege of working with lots of people who have ideas, and this is a building block to get you there. The Vision Driven Leader, Michael Hyatt, thanks so much for spending time with us today. Thank you, Dan. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I got uh, excited just listening to it again myself. But, you know, the key questions in there, don't ask how too quickly. I love that. You know, go ahead with your what, your big what. Put a man on the moon. You Identify what that means for you. Don't let the how stop you too quickly. I love that. Well, and if you don't have a clear vision, you're not in a position to lead. And then also... You know, clarity accelerates progress, but what I really like too, as well, because I know this is one of my one of my uh, stumbling points, is without a clear vision, you can't distinguish between true opportunities and distractions that will take you away from your focus. Wow, there's a thought for you to end with. It'll help you stay true to what you identify as your priorities if you have a clear vision. So again, check it out. You can go get those all those bonuses that Michael talked about. VisionDrivenLeader.com slash 48 days. I'll put that in the show notes. So you got two big resources today. Uh, it's connected to brand new books that'll give you a whole lot of resources you can use to keep moving forward to create the future, future that you want and to make sure that you claim your space solidly in this community of people who know we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Don't need to settle for less. Yeah.